Staking Taxes and your Self-Directed IRA. Everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. And on today's Adam Talks, we're going to be chatting about notice 2023-14, which came out a couple weeks ago, July 31, 2023, that gives us guidance on how staking is taxed and how it could impact your IRA. So finally, we got a little bit of guidance from the IRS on staking. Notice 2014-21 gave us guidance that cryptocurrencies would treat as property, like stocks, and also gave us guidance on how mining would be taxed, essentially um, as ordinary income. Uh, but we didn't get much on proof of stake, staking, since it's relatively a newer concept than the proof of work, which um, crypto mining, i.e. Bitcoin, um, can use it. So this is an important notice. It goes through most of everything we need to know. It leaves some questions unanswered, which I will get to, but basically gives us further guidance on how staking is taxed. So I'm going to go through the notice, talk about how it impacts you personally, and then talk about whether uh, how it impacts uh, an IRA or 401k owner if they use their retirement accounts to stake uh, crypto. So what's staking? Staking of cryptos involves a user pledging their cryptos to a particular blockchain to help validate transactions in exchange for validating and maintaining the blockchain network's integrity. Users are awarded native tokens on the blockchain. So the proof of stake consensus mechanism, it differs from POW proof of work because in the proof of work engine, there is a cost of computing, a high, high cost of electricity to have these computers work to actually solve these complex algorithms, which we know takes a lot of energy and a lot of cost and some environmental um, concerns and is used to basically power these computers to solve these algorithms. And essentially that's how proof of works works. With proof of stake, proof of uh, stakes, coins are staked, okay? Meaning there's a lot less electricity used. And the idea is that, hey, if you're gonna stake your coins, and generally there's a minimum amount of coins to stake, you're gonna wanna act professionally, right? You're not going to risk your stake coins and be a bad actor because if they find out you're a bad actor, you're going to lose your stake coins. So there's really no incentive to be a bad actor. Okay. So the stake to tokens are essentially used as collateral to ensure that the validators conduct the validation process in the manner required by the protocol. Coins or tokens that a validator stakes cannot be traded during that period and are subject to slashing. Proof of stake consensus mechanisms generally are viewed as more environmentally friendly, as I mentioned, than the proof of work mechanism because staking process is not as energy intensive. Holders of cryptos on proof of stake blockchains that do not participate in the validation process do not earn rewards. So you could decide, just like mining, if you want to be part of the proof of stake consensus. Staking generally comes in two varieties. It can be illiquid staking as user stakes or tokens to a validator and receives an annual percentage rate, an APR, on the equivalent APR, the yearly interest, and the fee paid to the staker. The original crypto is tied up, a liquid, that's where the name comes from, until such time as the user unstakes it and obtains the original investment plus any APR earned. 
In liquid staking, which is the reverse, the process is similar, except that while the investment is staked, the end user is rewarded with new liquid stake tokens, a tokenized representation of the underlying investment. These new liquid staking tokens can later be redeemed to unstake the underlying crypto, but more importantly, it can be traded or used as collateral. So as I mentioned earlier, until now, there's been no guidance on how staking is taxed. When do you actually get taxed on staking? When you receive it, when you have control or dominion over it, is it subject to taxation? 2014-21 talked about proof of work, mining. It didn't talk about proof of stake. So 23-14 states that staking rewards of cash method taxpayers must be included in taxable income, gross income, section 61, when they acquire possession of the rewards under the dominion and control standard. Dominion control generally refers to the taxpayer's ability to sell or otherwise transfer the asset. So revenue uh, ruling 2023-14, they gave an example where a cash method taxpayer owned 300 units of a type of crypto and they staked 200 of such units. And they validated a new block of transactions on the blockchain and received two units as a stake in reward or reward units, which were non-transferable for a short period of time, which is known as a lockup period. On the date following the lockup period, the taxpayer had the ability to sell, exchange, or otherwise dispose of the reward units. The IRS ruled that the taxpayer was required to include the fair market value of the reward units in gross income after the lockup period ended because the taxpayer had an accession to wealth when the taxpayer gained dominion and control over the reward units. The taxpayer was held to have gained dominion and control over the reward units on the day following the lockup period ended when the reward units became freely transferable. So, which is interesting, right? It's not when received, it's when you have dominion or control, when you actually can do something with it. The ruling fully further clarified that treatment applies whether a taxpayer stakes directly to a proof-of-stake blockchain or receives additional tokens through staking on an exchange. The amount of includable income is based on awards fair market value on the date the taxpayer gained dominion and control. Not when they received it, but when they got dominion and control. Okay, so it's interesting because if you think about it, a lot of people took the position that under Section 83A, if a taxpayer received property in connection with the performance of services, that property is generally valued and included income by the service provider the first time the rights of the person having beneficial interest in such property are transferable or are not subject to substantial risk of forfeiture. So, i.e., when you actually receive the reward, not when you got dominion or control, but when you had a right to it. But the ruling is clear as it's the ruling states that it does not address issues that may arise under rules not specifically cited such as 83. So essentially what this ruling is saying is that dominion or control is going to rule and, and be the deciding factor over when you actually received it in terms of performance of services when you had a right to a beneficial interest of that token, which is different than dominion over control. On this ruling, dominion control is basically the date becomes transferable. Whereas section 83 would seem to say the day you earned it would be the day you would take it into account. So 
may not matter, right? You're talking about days, depending on how long the liquid holding period is. But it's interesting that they took the position that it's dominion over control uh, versus uh, rights to the asset. Um, so what does that mean? Essentially, you got to take into account the value of what you receive, essentially when you have control over it, after the holding period ends, you have to take it into account in income. Now, what about if you had an IRA or 401k? What does that mean? Well, just like mining, if the activity does not rise to a trade or business, generally, because an IRA doesn't pay tax and doesn't file a tax return and doesn't have gross income, arguably there should not be any taxation if an IRA or 401k stakes cryptos and does not do it in the fashion that the activity rises to the level of a trade or business. So if it's passively, if it's done one-off, it generally is a, just like mining, the position in the industry is that it should not rise the UBIT. Right, it should not trigger unrelated business income tax because you have no trader business. Right, in order to have UBIT, which is a tax that could apply to unrelated business income activity through an IRA, a 401k, i.e., mining, business of mining, business of staking, you need to have that trader business. If there's no trader business, meaning it's a one off transaction, it could be included in gross income by the taxpayer. But since it's an IRA and an IRA doesn't pay tax and follow 1040, it's not such subject to section 61, there should not be any UBIT tax. Why is that meaningful? Because UBIT tax applies uh, of over $1,000 of income at a very low threshold. The highest tax rate is 37% and approximately 15K. So not being subject to UBIT is you know, a big win. So essentially, because you don't have a trader business, assuming your staking activity doesn't rise to a trader business, there shouldn't be any UBIT because there's no ordinary business income, right? I agree there's no dividends, it's not interest, it's not royalties, it's not rental income. So what is it? Well, it's essentially income, but is it business income? And if you take the position that you're staking, whether it's mining or proof of stake, doesn't rise to the level of a trader business, there should not be any UBIT because there's no unrelated trader business income tax. So that is the um, distinction between an IRA and an individual. If you're just doing it passively as an individual, you still have gross income. If you do it passively as an IRA or 401k, there should not be any gross income. IRAs, 401ks don't pay tax, not subject to section 61. And there shouldn't be any UBIT 37% tax because you don't have a trader business. So you're kind of caught in no man's land. You're caught in the middle. Um, that seems to be the answer. Uh, unfortunately, 24-21, 23-14 does not uh, address the issue of UBIT. Um, it doesn't even really reference business. All it says under 23-14 is it defines what gross income is, which essentially could be compensation for services, sale of an asset like capital gains, but also business income. But from a UBIT standpoint, if you have no business, you can't trigger UBIT, right? You shouldn't, how is UBIT tr uh, triggered in an IRA? Use non-recourse loan by real estate, non-recourse loan by an IRA, to uh, by stock, excuse me, through an IRA. That's not an issue here. Or you invest in an active trader business through a passive entity. But if your staking activity does not rise to a trader business activity or level, then you don't have a trader business and thus you should not have UBIT. So if you're doing passive staking, one-off, it's not business, you don't have a whole staking operation going, this is something you're kind of doing one-off in your retirement account, you would think you would not have any UBIT, which is huge because from an IRA standpoint, it gives the advantage of staking 
or mining an IRA or 401k, a lot more tax advantages than doing it personally because you wouldn't have any ordinary income um, or business income if the mining or staking rises to a trader business. So not only are you saving capital gains, but you're saving even greater amounts of tax by uh, saving ordinary income since that's what mining and staking would be subject to. It would be subject to gross income, section 61, ordinary income, because staking and mining doesn't fit into any category of a passive income like capital gains, interest, dividends, royalties, rental income. The most interesting thing I think about uh, 24, 2023-14 is the dominion and control versus the receipt, the rights to it, which is an interesting analysis. I would have thought they would have taken a more aggressive position and said, when you have rights to that asset, even if it's in a holding period, you have the income. Um, but they said, no, it's when you have control over it, that next day you take into account, you take into account the fair market value of the crypto you receive. What are some things the notice didn't mention? Um, it didn't talk about any gas fees paid. Um, it didn't talk about computing power used in validation process. How do you calculate that? Um, and it doesn't also provide any guidance on units received, a stake in rewards, and how they should be valued, um, which you know a lot of people have trouble discerning what the value of the actual cryptos they received when they actually have dominion and control over it. So. Um, to be continued at a later date. But overall, from an IRA or 401k perspective, whether it's POW or POS, there's a very strong argument to be made that if you don't, if your activity does not rise to the level of a trader business, it offers a very, very huge, large tax advantage by doing it in an IRA or 401k because you can circumvent the UBIT tax and you don't have to pay any ordinary income tax since it's being done in an IRA or 401k, which doesn't pay tax on a 1040 not subject to section 61 gross income. Yes, if your activity rises to a trader business, you likely can have UBIT tax on income over $1,000. Um, but if you can somehow get um, under the business threshold, UBIT shouldn't apply. And since IRAs don't pay um, tax on gross income, um, unless it's business income, the IRA or 401k should be able to POS or POW without uh, paying any tax on the income received, which is uh, a significant value and advantage over an individual who has to pay ordinary income tax of up to 37% or business income, which you know could be either 21 or 35%, uh, 37%, depending on if an LLC or corporation is used. So overall, um, I'm happy 23-14 came out. Um, <laughs> waited nine years for it. Um, I get it. Proof of stake is a newer concept of proof of work. Um, you see Ethereum coins doing proof of stake. Bitcoin is still proof of work. Yeah, there's some environmental benefits, but now there's a little bit more guidance, which um, you would think would make POS uh, even more popular since there's um, at least a foundation from a tax standpoint on how to treat this stuff from a tax uh, reporting uh, position. But if you're doing it in an IRA or 401k, the uh, argument goes so long as it doesn't rise to a trader business, uh, you should be able to POS or POW without paying UBIT tax or, or really any tax since an IRA does not file 1040. There it is. I hope you guys enjoyed today's uh, podcast. Important topic. Um, probably going to have some more guidance on this since the IRS has been really focused on taxation of cryptos um, because they feel like there's a lot of unreported income. I get it. Um, that's another reason for using an IRA or 401k to diversify, but also not have to deal with the tax headaches of reporting 
it under 1040 for cryptocurrency, uh, whether it's gains or it's POS or POW because IRAs or 401ks are generally not subject to tax on, on any gains associated with cryptos, whether it's the sale transfer or uh, receipt of cryptos as reward from POW or POS work. And uh, thanks to 2023-14, uh, we now have further guidance on how it's treated, um, tax based off dominion and control versus rights, essentially the day after you receive access to it, the holding period ends, it's subject to taxation based on its fair market value. But again, if you're an IRA or 401k and you're not in the business of POS or POW, um, cryptos um, and IRAs don't pay tax, don't file 1040s, section 61 isn't as relevant to IRAs or 401k, uh, you would think it would escape taxation and prove to be a very tax advantageous um, opportunity for um, retirement account holders who are interested in doing some mining or staking um, with crypto. So hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. I'll probably do a blog on this as well if you just kind of want to read it. Um, I know POS is kind of confusing on how it works, um, but I tried my best to kind of dummy it down, just keep it simple, with different types, liquid versus liquid. But just remember, you kind of just are giving, um, using your cryptos as collateral to receive more cryptos. Um, the idea is that if you're putting your cryptos out as collateral, you're not going to do anything bad and be a bad actor because you would lose your stake in cryptos if you did anything bad and validated a transaction that was uh, unlawful. So that's it. Um, if you have questions, let us know. Let me know. You can send them in, info to our financial. You can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, appreciate you guys listening. Um, hope you guys enjoyed your summer. Um, and that's it. Um, come, come check the next podcast out next week. Um, it's a weekly podcast. Generally it drops Wednesdays, uh, sometimes Thursdays. It's been a little bit behind schedule this summer, but we're getting back to schedule as the summer ends and it's going to hopefully drop every Wednesday. Um, so check it out next week and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks and uh, have a great day.